Amen. I hope you come this Wednesday uh, to our church. It's a privilege to gather today, isn't it? So many churches around the world gathering in secret don't have this privilege to, to meet as a body together in one space uh, and worship King Jesus openly and publicly. We don't want to take that for granted. Uh, as we turn to the Word of God, let's spend a few moments together as a church body turning to God in prayer. So if you would, just bow your hearts and minds with me as we turn to God. Almighty God, we come before you this morning as a church, and we tell you that you indeed are worthy of praise. As we've just sung, O oh God, we praise you. You are faithful and true. You are glorious in your power and in your might. You're beautiful in all of your attributes, and we, we praise you. As sinners, O oh God, we need your grace. Father, we know that we have wronged you. And even this week, we know we have sinned against you. So forgive us. We come to you this morning not in our own righteousness, not in our own effort or our own goodness, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. We come to you in Christ, trusting in his work on the cross that we can approach you. Father, as your church, we now want to pray for this body, and I, I pray that you would work in us and through us as a church, God. Father, we pray for your, your favor on our body as we grow together in Christ. Father, we pray for your, your favor on those who are, are not with us today, those who are, are traveling, who are far from us, even as we read in today's text about the church being sent and traveling abroad. Father, we pray for those who aren't with us today. God, I pray for, for Mike Bardenia as he travels back to his family in Armenia. God, would you be with our brother and let him be salt and light with his family? And would you bless Zarek as she follows him soon? Father, we, we pray for those that are here and, and active in the ministries of our church. We pray that, that they would be faithful to serve you well. Lord, for Awana this week that begins. Lord, would you be with our leaders as they serve and invest in our children? Be with Cherry as she leads, and Carl, and Shannon, and Chris, and Jenny, and, and all the leaders in Awana. God, would you, would you guide them and give them words to speak? May they point children that come in the doors of our church to Christ and to your word, O oh God. Father, we pray for our youth who are starting a new year. Father, at, both at youth group and then even starting a new school year. Father, we pray for the youth that are followers of Jesus Christ today. May they be faithful in their walk. Would you give them zeal and desire to know you and your word? Would you give them courage as they're amongst their peers to, to pursue Christ and to Worship God according to his word. God, would you grow our youth program, we pray, here at this church. Father, we pray for our congregation this morning. As we meet together and we sit under your word, would you teach us? God, I need you to speak clearly through me. I pray that you would let that happen. God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see clearly from your word. We read it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, 
this week in the news, I happened across a survey uh, from, of all places, good housekeeping. Naturally, my all-time favorite reading material, as you might expect. Uh, it surveyed several thousand women with a goal of assessing the biggest factors of change over the last hundred years. Some of the findings were just unremarkable. Respondents reported that the biggest influence on modern life over the last 100 years was the internet, no surprise. Or when asked to pick the best domestic invention for the home, respondents chose the washing machine, just ahead of the refrigerator and the freezer. Interestingly, and, and what caught my eye about the survey was that participants were asked to name the most influential female role model of the past 100 years. The strong winner of this survey, which was taken back in July, was the now late Queen Elizabeth II. This British monarch, Queen Elizabeth, passed away this Thursday and was heralded for being a profound role model. She weathered decades of change with a constant poise about her. It's said that her perseverance and her fortitude gave a sense of continuity to the kingdom that she led and an example for, for young Brits to follow. Perhaps you've never found yourself looking up to Queen Elizabeth, but I'm guessing there are those in your life whose example has been profoundly meaningful to you. Think for just a second. Who has been influential in your life? Just reflect. Who, who has influenced you the most throughout your life? Whose model have you looked to? I'm guessing it's, it's not just the things that they, they said that impacted you, but also who they were, the nature of their character and their example. You see, role models matter. Examples of character matter. That's because a role model has the opportunity to put on display in real life the values we say we believe. This is not only true in general, but this is also true in our spiritual lives. It's God's design that, that we see those who are faithful and are encouraged ourselves to faithfulness. Just think of, for example, Hebrews chapter 11. The whole chapter of Hebrews 11 is a, a, a chapter filled with examples of faith. Men and women who modeled what it means to take God at his word. Living examples are meant to point us and to point us to Christ. And that's what we have here in today's passage in the form of two examples, two role models given for the Philippian church. We have Timothy and Epaphroditus. So what will these role models teach us today? What will we see from the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus? Here's my main point for this morning, which I want you to see in these role models. If you're taking notes, write this down. Timothy and Epaphroditus model for us that selfless character matters for gospel partnership. Selfless character 
matters for gospel partnership. If our church is to partner together for the gospel, then your character matters for the advance of the gospel. The integrity of your care for others is central. This is what is modeled for us today. We see selfless character put on display in the text for us. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be in verses 19 through 20 today as we continue to just work through this book. Let me begin by just reading the passage so that you can just see the complete picture of these two role models. Starting in chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All right. So now, before we just jump right into this text and see how selfless character matters, let me help you by just setting the stage for what's happening here. Remember what we've been studying. We've been studying a letter from a man written in jail. He was in jail, and he's writing this letter to this church. Paul is in a Roman jail cell in modern-day Italy. That's where he is, off in Italy. And he had helped start a small church in modern-day Greece, across the Adriatic Sea. This church in Greece is in the city of Philippi. And they had then helped Paul and partnered with him in his missionary work. So Paul is writing this letter to them to encourage them and to build them up. And sitting in that Roman cell, he makes plans for who will, he will send back to help them and who will deliver his letter. These are his travel plans. So let me just give you some handles on this text as you understand the practical plans he's making uh, for these travels. Look at the text briefly. So verse 19, we see that Paul hopes to send Timothy back to this church soon. Timothy would go from Rome over to Philippi. And then verse 19b, Paul says he hopes to be cheered by news of them. So apparently Timothy 
after taking this letter from Paul, might come back to Paul and give an update on the church. And then the next several verses talk about Timothy, which we're going to get to in a moment. Look down to verse 23. He explains further that he hopes to send Timothy, but he's actually going to wait to see first how his trial goes. And then in verse 24, he says, he too, Paul hopes to personally come soon to see them. Okay, so he's not coming yet, and he's going to send Timothy, but not yet. So what is his plan now? Verse 25, he says he thinks it necessary to send Epaphroditus from Rome over to Philippi. Now this guy, Epaphroditus, uh, the Philippian church actually already knew. Because later in chapter 4, verse 18, we'll find out that Epaphroditus was the one who originally came to Paul with gifts from the church, probably bringing him money or food or clothes or perhaps books. And so now Paul is going to send him back to the church with his commendation. So he says in verse 28, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice in seeing him again that I may be less anxious. Okay, so a lot of travel plans going back and forth. But, but here's the question that we should ask as we read through this letter. Why did Paul suddenly start talking about all these travel plans here? Normally, in a letter like this, you would put travel plans at the end of the letter, kind of as a, a last practical piece for the church to read. Why did Paul put them here in the middle of the letter, right after talking about Christ, the humble servant king? We realize that these men are examples. Paul is using them to show that selfless character matters for gospel partnership. Paul is using them to show us what it looks like to have the mind of Christ, or to show us what it looks like to live worthy of the gospel, or to show us what it looks like, like last week, to live under the regime of a new king. There are examples for us, and so it makes sense that when we get down to verse 29, we read, so receive them, or him, in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. These are men to be honored as role models in the church. So here's what I want to do. I want to today take today's text and just look over five themes that I see across the text. Five five ways that these two role models show for us the selfless character displayed in their lives. Five points of character or, or five things that we as a church should emulate in their examples. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but if you have your Bibles open, I'll tell you where to look. You can follow along with me in the text. And if you're, by the way, doing a little bit of math, saying, okay, now, Jeff normally has three points, and now he's saying five, so what time am I getting to lunch? (laughs) Uh, Don't don't worry. I'll try to be more brief with some of these than others, and and we'll keep moving along. But I, I do believe as we look at these traits that we can see how our character can also be shaped. So first, number one, selfless character is focused on others. Look at verses 19 through 20. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him 
who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is a prime example and a prime candidate to travel because he is genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. This word here in the text, genuine, means sincere or or authentic. It's a a real and a true concern. It's, It's not a faked concern for others, like one that you have because you know that that's what you should do. You should be concerned with others. Some of you know what this is like to have others in the church ask about you, not because they're really concerned about you, but because they know they really should be asking about you. If, you've ever, if you're visiting the church today and you're skeptical about coming to church, perhaps, perhaps you've thought that churches have hypocrisy, let me just admit that that's probably a good concern to have. Too often, churches are filled with people that don't sincerely care about one another. Instead, too often, churches have people that act like they care for one another. It's easy to pretend. It's easy to go around and and put on a mask, like, like at a masquerade ball, and everyone walking around with a face that isn't their own face. And underneath just a few millimeters of plastic, there's a different person. So how often is this care for others in the world really just a mask? If you've been ever hurt by this fake care, I'm sorry. This is not the type of love that Jesus produces. This isn't the type of love we want to have here at First Boynton. This isn't the type of love that Timothy had. Look at the text. Timothy was genuinely concerned about others. He's, it was an authentic and sincere concern. And it was focused on the welfare of the church. But this is also true of the second role model of Epaphroditus. Look down at his story. Skip down to verse 25. We read, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for, verse 26, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. Okay, so the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus to to Paul with a gift. And on his way, apparently, he fell deathly ill, verse 27. He almost died, but God had mercy on him. And now, apparently, when he fell ill, the Philippian church had heard about it, and they were worried. And now look at verse 26. He was distressed because his church heard that he was ill and was worried about him. This is just mind-boggling. The man was deathly ill as he's traveling across the Adriatic Sea, and he becomes distressed, not for himself, but for the church who's worried about him. He's focused on them. His humble character is is focused on others. I've been around enough loving couples who are nearing death to see this beautifully played out in healthy marriages. Typically, when a spouse falls ill towards the end of life, 
The spouse who is nearing death is doing all they can to show the other spouse that they are really okay and that they're concerned about the spouse that they're leaving behind. And typically, the spouse who's being left behind is doing all they can do to show that they will be okay, and they're tenderly caring for the spouse who's passing away. This is what marriage and love over decades does as it beautifully knits hearts together. Their concern is completely focused on the other person. This is just a taste of what's happening with the church and Epaphroditus as he nearly died. Both of them were concerned and focused on the needs of the other. So let me just ask you, church, are, are you like Timothy and Epaphroditus? Are you genuinely concerned for the welfare of others in this church? Or do you check out of community when you pull out of the parking lot at 12.05 on Sunday morning? If you're a member here in our church covenant, we've said that we will walk together in brotherly love with others in this church and that we will exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. Are you following this example? Well, second, selfless love is not only focused on others, but it is not self-seeking. Or said another way, it does not put yourself first. Now, this could be lumped into my first point, fine, but I intentionally want to just tease it out here. I'll be brief. Look at verse 20. Paul says to Timothy, in verse 20, for I have no one like, so Paul says to the Philippians about Timothy, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For, verse 21, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not sure who, Jesus, who Paul is talking about here in verse 21. Perhaps he's speaking hyperbolically, or perhaps he's merely talking about others in the Roman church that could have traveled, could have helped serve, but were just seeking their own interest. We don't know. Regardless, Paul saw the normal pattern was to seek their own interests. If this language sounds familiar to you, just look early on the chapter. It should be familiar. This made them not usable for gospel partnership. And this contrasts with the second example of Epaphroditus that we have. Not only was he deeply distressed about the Philippian church, he was not focused on his own self-interest. Look down at verse 30, how Paul ends his commendation of Epaphroditus. He says about this man that he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, this is interesting. This seems that Epaphroditus' illness wasn't merely incidental. He fell ill, risking his life. We get this picture that in choosing to help Paul and to travel for Paul, he signed up for risk. And he did it to serve. He did it to serve the church. He didn't put his own needs, he didn't even put his own life first. He put the interests of Jesus Christ first. Timothy Keller calls this type of gospel humility the blessedness of self-forgetfulness. He says it's not merely just not thinking highly of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's having a, a healthy level of forgetfulness 
of your own ego and your own wishes. I wonder what it would look like in your home if you were not merely concerned for others, but you were also less focused on yourself. Imagine this, the, the next time you find yourself about to defend yourself to your spouse, or the next time one of your, about, you're about to argue with maybe your brother or sister, what if you just stopped championing your side of the argument? What if you laid down any need to show that you were right? What if you were willing to be seen as wrong? Would you be better to, fit to care for others? if you're not thinking about your own interests? Or what about when you interact with others in this church? How often are you spending time thinking about the ways that you are perceived and what others are thinking about you? I wonder if you could serve better if you had a healthy level of self-forgetfulness. If you're a Christian today, a lot of what I'm, if you're, pardon me, if you're not a Christian today, so if you're here in the room and you, you're not yet a believer, that's okay, I'm glad you're with us today. I'm glad you're listening in on what I'm saying from the Bible. But if you're listening to this, this might sound like a good bit of just good ethics, good moral ideas. Well, Christianity certainly does shape good behavior, but every Christian that's here would tell you that our behavior is based on something completely outside of us. Christians look to Jesus Christ, who didn't just risk his life on behalf of others, like Epaphroditus, but he gave his life on behalf of others. Christians believe that, that God created us to know and worship him, but that all humankind has, has gone astray and has worshiped and served ourselves rather than our creator. God then, in his love, sent Jesus Christ to die for us. He lived the perfect life, free from sin that we never lived, and then he died on the cross, bearing the punishment that our sin deserves, and he rose from the grave. Now, anyone who comes to Christ and trusts his work in faith, repenting of their sins, will receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Epaphroditus risked his life for the church, but Jesus Christ gave his life for the church. I encourage you, if, if this is new to you, or if your life isn't committed to believing this in faith, talk to me. I'm, I'm going to be out in the back after the service. Talk to me and let me think with you about what it means to be a Christian. Or even better yet, Talk to anyone in this room that is a member of this church. To be a member of this church means that you believe this gospel of grace, that you hold it for yourself. Praise God for this good news of the gospel. Third, let's move on. Notice something else about these role models. Notice also that they gave themselves in service to others. Now, this might seem obvious, and it, it overlaps with everything I've been saying, but just focus on this, the care that they had for others and the tendency that they had to not put themselves first produced something. It showed itself in action. They served. And so we notice what Paul says about Timothy in verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, 
he has served with me in the gospel. He served with me in the gospel. What a short summary of a long legacy. If you know anything about Timothy, you know that in one phrase here, Paul is summarizing this man who came along with him on his second and third missionary journeys. Hebrews tells us that, that Timothy was imprisoned for the gospel. And later we believe that he became the, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. It seems even in Acts 20 that this man Timothy signed up for several trips, helping out the various churches and delivering things. He was constantly serving. Paul says he served with me in the gospel. Timothy gave his time and his energy for the good of the body of Christ. Interestingly here, the, the word that Paul uses to serve literally means to be a slave. It's the same word Paul began the letter with back in chapter 1, verse 1. The way that Timothy gave himself to others was that he made himself a slave. This is true also for Epaphroditus. Look down at verse 25. Epaphroditus was introduced not just as a brother, but as a fellow worker. He wasn't lax in his service. He went out as a messenger, as a minister to Paul's need. As I reflected on this aspect this week and thought of our church, I just was overwhelmed with thanks for our congregation. You know, God has blessed us with a body that is just eager to serve one another. I've been so encouraged, even just here in, in my first few weeks here at First Boynton, to see so many ways that you all are actively serving one another. Praise God. So I wonder then, can we grow still more? Think about your life. Do you consider yourself a servant? Is that how you define yourself? Does your care for others produce something? Does it lead you to service? If it does, praise God. If there's room for growth, consider ways that you can give of yourself to serve the body here. Perhaps you could volunteer in, in helping to uh, greet on a Sunday morning. Or perhaps you could give a week or two of the month to help with childcare in Sunday school or in children's church that's happening right now. Brothers and sisters are watching our children so that we can be here. What if we gave some of them a break by more of us signing up to rotate in? Perhaps you could join the security team or perhaps join the, the production team or the music team and, and fill in a missing hole. How can you be actively serving in this body? The, we see here in this model that Timothy and Epaphroditus were active in serving others. Well, fourth, notice these models were also trustworthy. Number four, they were trustworthy. Look at verse 22. You know, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he served me in the gospel. Now these words, proven worth, are important here. Timothy has served with Paul, but his service has taken a particular shape. It's been proven. And because of that, it's valuable. It's worth something to the church. 
This word proven worth is one word in the original, and it speaks of something that has been examined and verified through testing. It's the idea of being tried before giving approval. It's trustworthy. Uh, I, I think back to a close friend of mine at my previous church I worked with for several years who, who was previously a geotechnical engineer. It was his job at his engineering firm that he would go out to various construction sites and he would evaluate the soil and the concrete and the foundations of various building projects. And so during our years together when driving around, I gained a wealth of insight about the world of structural integrity through his eyes. I learned about how before giving approval to build a building, my friend would run tests on the subgrade soils that the footings would be built on. And the soil needed to be, to be firm and stable before being approved for construction. I learned about how footings of reinforced concrete would be carefully evaluated to make sure that they were ready to carry the load, that they were tested and examined for thickness and size and length, everything that goes into building a building like this below the scenes, closely watched, tested, and evaluated. It, it's worth, the worth of the foundation must be tested, it must be proven. This is something of what Paul is saying about this man, Timothy, here. Timothy's character had the shape of someone who had been examined and verified by testing. The faithfulness of his service with Paul in the gospel showed that he could be counted on. He wouldn't be quick to quit and run. That's not how this pastor, this minister was. He had an, an integrity about him. He was trustworthy. And this was not just true of Timothy, it was also true of Epaphroditus. That's what we've already seen, isn't it? That this man, Epaphroditus, was entrusted to take help to Paul. And he saw the task, task through, even when he got sick. Look down in verse 30 specifically. We read that he risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the Philippian church had given to partner with Paul. And the gift wasn't quite complete until it could be delivered. And so despite risk to himself, Epaphroditus was trustworthy. He was successful in bringing the gift to Paul. This was a man that could be trusted to finish well. He completed their service to Paul. Timothy had proven worth. Epaphroditus had completed the service. These servants were trustworthy. Friends, this is what a healthy church needs for gospel participation. This is what we need in our church. This is what we need in our homes, is servants who are trustworthy. When we fail to be trustworthy, it harms the body of Christ. Perhaps you've been harmed by someone not being trustworthy in their position. The biblical category for this is being sinned against. I believe that this is especially offensive in God's sight because when trust is eroded, it makes it harder for us as humans to trust God. 
Oh, how important it is that by God's grace alone, we would be men and women who are trustworthy. So whether you've had a Timothy and Epaphroditus in your life, who have just shown in this example, or whether you've had others break your trust in their gospel ministry, let me assure you right now that Jesus Christ will never let you down. We'll return to Christ in just a minute when we close. But for now, we need to pray that we would be like Christ, that we would be trustworthy servants of Christ in his service. Well, fifthly, finally, lastly, notice with me that in this character for gospel partnership, we see that these men model cooperation for the gospel. Verse 20 in the English text begins with, for I have no one else like him. Literally in the original, this says, I have no one else of like soul or of like mind. I think the idea was that Paul was so with Timothy that they were like-minded to one another. One commentator writes, Paul emphasizes the primary reason for Timothy's coming is that he can count on him to carry Paul's own deep concerns at heart. There's a togetherness in Paul and Timothy as brothers in Christ. Then look down at verse 22. We've read it already. Let me read it again. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. As a son with a father. Certainly we know Paul was like a mentor to Timothy. But I actually think this is more emphasizing the similarity of their gospel work. In English, we might say, like father, like son. The idea was that Paul was so united with Timothy that they were in step in their gospel work together. They had a, a rich cooperation, a rich togetherness in their service of King Jesus. And this, this cooperation is, is also seen in Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. Epaphroditus is called what? He's called a fellow worker. He's called a, a fellow soldier. Literally, a, a companion in labor, or a, one who struggles alongside of another. Friends, here's the model we see today. These men cooperated with Paul and with the church for the gospel. They didn't serve alone. They weren't just trustworthy alone. No, they labored side by side together in the gospel. This keeps coming up again and again in the book of Philippians, doesn't it? How, how important it is that we in our faith are not lone rangers, just individually running after Christ. No, we are running together as one body. We must come alongside of one another and labor arm in arm for the gospel. So, one practical application of this, this Wednesday, I'll be teaching a class called Living as a Church. Pastor Keith and I will be teaching together. We'll be exploring what does it mean to live and grow and labor as a church together. How do we do this? Together. So I encourage you, if you're not serving somewhere else, why not come out this Wednesday at 6.15 and, and look at this with us? Regardless, we want our church to be laboring together in the gospel. Well, we should conclude. 
I hope you've seen this portrait clearly of these models that we have to follow. Selfless character matters for gospel partnership. In some sense, at this point, these models may look overwhelming to us. Who of us is up for this task? Who of us is really consistent in having a genuine concern for the welfare of others? Who here doesn't seek your own interest? Who here is truly trustworthy? Who here perfectly serves others? Who here stands perfectly together with the rest of the body, never leaving, never wavering in your unity? Friends, Jesus Christ is all of this and more. When we look at this model of character as displayed in these two men, we're reminded that they are just men. But we can worship Jesus Christ, whose integrity and character never fails. He is our only hope for living, like this text says, as we worship him. We worship Jesus Christ, who has a concern for others that is far more genuine than any love we could ever know or produce. We worship Jesus Christ, who gave himself, seeking not his own interests, but the interests of others. We worship Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We worship Jesus Christ, who is perfectly and always trustworthy, never failing, never letting us down. Even when we are faithless, he remains the same. We worship Jesus Christ, who is together with us, God with us, the one who united himself to his bride so that we are in Christ. Let us worship him today. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for Jesus Christ, who is our hope. We thank you for his love for us. We pray that these traits would be true evermore in our church. May we, by your grace alone, partner together in gospel ministry. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.